What's happening, everybody? This is Catfish on Ice, episode 188 with Chad Minton and Rich Howe. What up? As we have a new Stanley Cup champion, the Vegas Golden Knights are hoisting the cup. Yes. Can you imagine what is going on in Sin City right now? Actually, no, it doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter when anything is happening in Sin City. There's always something crazy going on, but they just won a Stanley Cup. I heard the atmosphere there was crazy. Some of the things I've heard about. Yeah. Um, have you heard of what was going on in that arena last um, night? Not in the arena, but I did see some pictures of some uh, players and and some clubs with the with the yeah. cup. So um, what uh, happened? So the arena? I, I'm just. I'm so I'm, I, tears of joy and sympathy <laughs> for those long suffering Vegas no, Golden no. Knights fans. I, I, They've I can't waited imagine. so long. <laughs> They've waited so long. I saw a really funny tweet from uh, Pete Blackburn, uh, he, who's just one of the funniest hockey followers on there, and he he made a joke saying, "I'm really happy for my mm. father. Uh, it's been his lifelong dream <laughs> to see his favorite team hoist uh, <laughs> the Stanley Cup." And you know, it's just I couldn't help but laugh at the irony of it. And, you know, that's pretty good. Team's, team's been around since 2017. You know, but I'm happy. I mean, it's a great team. I mean, it'd be one thing. Team. It'd be one thing if this was a flukish team and they just kind of weaseled their way through. Yeah, this team is legit. Everybody, this team is very legit. <clears throat> you're not going to have an easier time of finding a more deserving team as far as just top to bottom. Great goaltending with Aiden Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the six players they like to call the misfits, which I just yep. love that. Put that, that on a t-shirt. The misfits are the original six players who were on the expansion gold knights, including Mark Stone, Mark Stone. Inclu- who had who had a hat trick. First oh. time since first time since 1922 that someone scored a hat trick in a game clinching Stanley Cup game. Final. Yep. I saw that. That was amazing. He, he tried. He got like three cracks at it, and finally, it went in on the third try. So it was that was good. I was glad he got it. Um, and then yeah, another was, misfit, another misfit, Jonathan Marcheseau wins the Conn Smythe Trophy. Another misfit. Uh, yeah. Who? So William Carlson was one of them. Um, yeah. I don't remember all the rest. Um, yeah, Marcheseau played like a maniac through the playoffs. I mean, he played so well. Um, I think he averaged like a point for every game or something. <clears throat> if that's correct. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players on this team that are just very easy to like, honestly. Mm-hmm. Jack Eichel, you got to be happy for Jack Eichel. Oh, to, yeah. After <laughs> what he went through leaving Buffalo. So that's a double whammy there it if is. you're a Buffalo Sabres fan. Like, we're going to mm-hmm. put it up on the screen later, and we're going to do a whole segment on – the 11 teams that now remain without a Stanley Cup. Of course, the Nashville Predators are one of them. We're going to do that. We're going to break down this game five, dominating fashion as the Golden Knights win this game nine to three. Yeah, We're going to break that game down a little bit more. I did watch it. I was a little disappointed that it wasn't a closer game. We're going to break that down. We're also going to throw out some grades as we get closer to the draft now we're less than two weeks away we're actually two exactly two weeks away tonight and cannot wait i will be there i've officially got my ticket i'll be in general admission up in the upper deck never went to an nhl draft before so it's going to be a bucket list thing to knock off my list that'll be going to be a little 
going to be a little bittersweet to see the Blackhawks uh, draft Connor Bedard, but yeah, in Bridgestone, it, it'll be cool to see that in person, though. Especially if he ends up being the hype machine that everyone expects him to be. Absolutely. To go back and look at that and say, okay, I saw him drafted live in person. Yep. That's going to be cool to say. So I cannot wait for that. Cannot wait. Cannot wait for that. Going to make the long road trip from uh, the Tampa Bay area to Nashville. That's about a 10 to 11 hour drive, oh. depending depending on what you run through in Atlanta. So, Or, or you can go around Atlanta. Try that. Well, that adds like an extra two hours to your trip, though. Is right? it really? Mm. Yeah, because you got to go through Alabama. You got to like oh, cut no, over. Don't do that. Yeah, there, there's no way of getting around Atlanta unless you go right through it or you go through Alabama. So you got to time it just yeah. right. You really yeah. do. Like right at lunchtime, maybe go hit hit yes hit Atlanta like right at lunchtime. That's that's about your best option for sure. Not in the morning. To round out this episode, if you're already subscribing to our YouTube channel and you follow our YouTube notifications then you may have already seen this outstanding interview. We had almost an hour-long guest interview with Kyle Pereira, of, who's a scouting writer for Last Word on Sports. His scouting reports for all of these prospects coming up mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the NHL draft <clears throat> are absolutely just out, – they're just outstanding. Yeah, he, he knows the so stuff. Much de- so much detail, so much insight into all these prospects that are going to be coming up here in the draft. So – you got to go check out his work. He was kind enough to hop on. Got in, got into a lot of really good stuff regarding the Predators. I gave him my top five uh, press uh, draft board that I have. Some of the players that I would like the press to draft. He kind of he broke down each one of those prospects, including Zach Benson, who's getting a ton of ton of publicity mm-hmm. right now because the he's he's a top ten talent, but he's sliding out of the top ten in mock drafts because he's very undersized. And that's hurting him a bit. So I'm just – I'm having a hard time even thinking about the possibility that he could fall all the way to number 15. But we got into all all sorts of great things with Kyle Pereira. So that's going to round out episode 188 now that you're listening to the audio version. If you're watching live on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook right now, then you can still go check out that interview with Kyle on our YouTube channel later on. All right, so that's what we got in store for you, Rich. Yes, I want to yes. ask you first: Was it just about the Panthers not deserving to be there? They were kind of a fluky team that made it that far, or do you do you think they got exposed, or do you think that the Golden Knights are just that good, and it's not really an indictment on the Panthers? I think it's a couple of things. I think the main thing for Florida, they ran through some teams. I mean, you got to give them props uh, as much as I hate to do it because I don't. You know, they're not one of my favorites, but Sergey Bobrovsky had played out of his mind. I mean, he, he got them there. Um, you know, Matthew Chuchuk got them there and, you know, he got hurt or whatever. Um, I think they just ran out of gas at, at a bad time and they ran into a very hot goaltender in Aiden Hill. I mean, that dude mm-hmm. was incredible. Um I would have given him the con Smythe almost because, like, he he played so well. Um, just, I, yeah, I just think it was a bunch of different a bunch of different things. Um, but hey, man, kudos to Florida. Um, you know, you had a magical run. You just you just couldn't finish. You had some injuries. Um, your star, I, who would argue your star player, 
was hurt, broken sternum is, is the diagnosis. So it just wasn't meant to be, wasn't there. I do. I do wonder if somehow the Panthers don't go on the Cinderella run that they went on. And let me just be honest here. Let's say your Boston Bruins hold serve with what they were supposed to do. And it's, it's Boston Bruins versus the Vegas gold Knights in the Stanley cup final. I'm not taking anything away from the Florida Panthers because they went out yeah. and they won the games. They pulled off the upsets. They did. They were net. You could never count them out in any game. They were coming back constantly. Matthew Chuck was Mr. Clutch. And then he of was. course, Oh my gosh. First of all, before I get into that, Matthew to Chuck, some news came out today about just how injured he was. Yeah. Broke him sternum. Broke him sternum. He, could, ha, he was going to try to try to practice the day before and they had mm-hmm. to help him put his literally put his equipment on. He couldn't put I his own that. equipment on. I mean, that's brutal stuff. And then the pain was just too much for him to go in game five. That is, do uh, I think that, do I think that Matthew, uh, uh, an injured, but playing Matthew to Chuck would have made the difference in game five. No, no I don't, I don't, but it wasn't, it was rough to see them lose him. I don't think a healthy Matthew to Chuck would have, it might've made it a little closer, but I, I just don't think. Well, they, here's they the thing. Vegas, it. Vegas just doesn't make very many no. self-inflicted mistakes. Mm-mm. They yeah. make, they are the prototypical team that makes you beat them. You're going to have to play your very, very best game, and then mm-hmm. it still might not be enough. But yeah. if you don't bring your 100% game, they're going to make you pay. They don't make mistakes. They make yeah. very few mistakes, unforced yeah. errors. That's for sure. I mean, they just look so good. I mean, even in the loss – the one loss, they still looked good. Um, it was just a fluky thing. So I don't know. They're 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 really credit to the team and credit to the GM for putting that team together because um, I think he had a game plan this whole time and it finally came to fruition. And they were not afraid to move people around and, and go for you know swing for Jack Eichel, which was huge. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's how you do it. Got to make the hard choices, sure. I guess. And going back to what I was about to say, the hypothetical here of let's say it's the Boston Bruins versus the Vegas Golden Knights. First of all, the ratings would have been much better. Huge. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lowest lowest ratings for a Stanley Cup final since 2007 is what I saw. Yeah, I saw that too. It was – What's even yeah, I mean, crazier, before you go real quick, what's even crazier is that the overall Stanley Cup playoffs were actually up in ratings. They were they were in the yeah, positive, but then yeah. the the Stanley Cup final just tanked in viewership. And I guess it's – I mean, I hate to say it, but it's probably because I guess the Panthers just didn't draw a lot of people in. Like I, I, think think. It's, I think it might be that, and it's also the fact that Vegas pretty much ran them over. I mean, <laughs> they really did not yep. have a shot. Um, there was not a lot of close games aside from game three, which uh, Florida did win in overtime. Yeah. And then like your casual fan who is watching, um, I think at one point it was like six to two or something. Casual fans are That's smart enough true. to know at that point, this team's not going to come back. They're not and also this. And back. also this too. I will say this too. Even though Vegas has a rabid fan base and they've probably got a lot mm-hmm. of bandwagon fans who who across the country who who mm-hmm. jumped on and started liking them when they yep. became a new team. 
but they're not a blue blood. Mm-mm. So you were you were missing a blue blood type of team in this yep. year's Stanley Cup, and you were also missing you were missing teams that just were loaded with. Even oh, though yeah. Vegas does have a ton of star power, but their star power is more. They're just deep. Vegas yes. is just a very deep That's team. A good but way they to put it. look look at it last year when you had uh, Colorado going up against Tampa. I mean, you're talking about two teams just loaded with superstars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nathan McKinnon, Cal McCarr, and then of course Tampa br- drew in a ton of viewership because they were going for a three peat and whatnot. So that that draws you in big time. Mm-hmm. But this Stanley Cup final, you know, Florida Vegas, there's just yeah. There's not really any his, history between those two teams playing each other. Mm-mm. It's it's Matthew Duchuk was definitely drawing some eyeballs with the way he was doing what he was doing, but outside of the most diehard hockey fans, even yeah. some of the most casual hockey fans probably did not watch the Stanley Cup as much as you would yeah. think. Or they or they watched a little bit of it and then quit. I mean, your hardcore fans. I mean, I watched every minute of it. I loved it, but um, yeah, your hardcore, your 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 casual fans are probably just like, "Well, this game's over. Why am I watching this?" So, <laughs> you look you at know, games one and games one and two in Vegas. Five uh, two final score. Golden Knights win game two. They end up winning seven to two. There you go. Game four was close. Game four was only a three to two win, which. That's ultimately what sings the most if you're a Panthers fan and you're thinking, what if, if we could have pulled out game four at home, then it's a 2-2 series going back. Mm-hmm. They they fell behind 3 nothing in that game and tried to make a furious comeback, and they got it to 3-2. to uh, They made it 3-2, to just 3.50 into the third period of that game four. So you're thinking, oh, wow, Florida's coming back again. We can never count this team out, but they mm-hmm. just couldn't get – Nope. Just couldn't finish it off there. And I think the worst part about it for Florida is obviously their power play struggles in this Stanley Cup. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 0 for, 0 for 3 in game one. Then they go 0 for 4 in game two. Even though they win game three in overtime, they go 0 for 5. Keeping up here. I mean, just uh, terrible. Yeah, just we know so how that feels. We know how this feels as Preds fans. <laughs> we though. do. Yeah, they only, one, one yeah. Pow- they only got one power. They only got one power play in Game Four, and they didn't strike on that one. And then this uh, nine to three loss, Florida goes zero for one. Yeah, yeah, that That's one so- game where there weren't hardly any penalties. I mean. Kudos to the refs. They just let these dudes play, and that's how it should always be. Um, but you also saw some people, some folks getting hurt quite a bit. So I don't know, maybe that's not such a good idea throughout the regular season, but they let them get away with a lot. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of stuff that happened uh, that that if it would have been regular season, you would have definitely seen a penalty. Let's get to some comments here as we continue mm-hmm. to uh, react to the Vegas Golden Knights winning their first Stanley Cup. Game five, they win nine to three, win the series four to one. And Marchessault, Jonathan Marchessault wins the Conn Smythe trophy. Even though you could have made an argument for Jack Eichel, you could have made an argument for Aiden Hill. Yep. But let's get into some of these comments <clears throat> here. Mike Twitter. Might have to give her thoughts on this. Lavia oh, yeah. led to the Rangers. That's so weird. That just seems like it seems like a match made in heaven, though. The big coaching in the Big Apple. He's gonna, you know, if one thing Peter Lavia knows how to do 
He knows how to handle pressure. He knows how to take control of a locker room for better or worse. He, he knows how to handle the criticism of the media. He's thick as he his he's got some thick skin. He does. He so does. I do care. think I do think he can handle the pressure in New York. So we'll see. It's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, they were pretty disappointing. So he's probably he's got a pretty good task ahead of him. I, I will say that because they just were not good in the long run. Max Greenberg gives a good point here. He says, I can't believe Paul Maurice kept Bob in for all nine goals. Like, how can you do that to him? Yeah. yeah. You could just what see. What do you think it. about that? That's could, that's a very yeah. good point Max brings up there. Yeah, you could you could just see it on his face after the first few went in. He was just like, Oh, this is not gonna be good. And then after that, yeah, it was just- Sergey Bob- Sergey Bobrovsky, who was playing some really he was he having was. a coming back to life, a revival of his playoff misfortunes that he's had in his past. But yeah. this game, it all came crashing down. He ends up facing 31 shots, makes 23 saves for a .742, .742 save percentage. Yeah, that was brutal. I Out of all the players for, for Florida, I like him the most. I really – I think he's – a good goaltender and he's he's had some troubles or whatever but man when you get when you get dunked on for nine goals that's that's rough that's very so rough. florida so florida makes it seven to three over halfway through the third period mm-hmm. the net gets emptied that was when mark, mark Jones stone scores the empty net goal got the hat trick <clears throat> and then they and then they put bob back in the net which seems odd. But then again, why would you want to throw a backup into that situation? Like, how's that fair? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I almost yeah. see it. I almost see it as, I almost think it would have been kind of disrespectful to pull Bobrovsky. Cause it's like, at this point, yeah. it's, the, it's the last game of the season. I think at that point it's ceremonial. It's like, look, thank you. You got us this far. Yeah. This sucks. But yeah, you also don't want the storyline to be Sergey Bobrovsky gets yanked and you know what I mean? Yeah. It, you can look at it both ways. Yeah, you can. Maybe Paul Maurice was thinking of more. It's like fuel for the future. You yeah, know, you, you know. get you had a bad outing in the Stanley Cup final. Um, yeah, just use that for next season or something. I don't know. And we, got a, we, got a, we got a we got a we got a Tooth Tigers back in here, <laughs> becoming a regular listener. The awesome we love brand. it. Thanks for coming back. Hi, gang. How's everybody doing? We're doing great. We hope you're doing good tonight. Good. And, that's, Sad hockey's we, good, we got a pretty big question here from uh, Shashka right. Tooth Tiger. Let's see. Question from Shashka Tooth Tiger. Besides Cody Glass, do we have any young skaters anywhere in our system that you see as legitimate top six forwards or top four defensemen who are not undersized? This is a long one. But let's break uh, down that the first part of this uh, three-part question. <laughs> Shashka Tooth Tiger just gave, gave us a whole new segment for tonight's episode. I know, so that's pretty good. It. That's a good question, right. actually. Um, I'll, I'll start. So, just I know the question goes on here. I'll put the second part of the question up yeah. here. Not undersized. That's tough. Because we do have a lot of undersized. I'll, we do have a lot of undersized players. I mean, let's be honest about that when it comes to these players that are coming up. Evan- Luke Evangelista is very undersized. Is Tomasino's little... pretty undersized. Um Parsonin Tommy no- Parsonin, there you go. Parsonin's your guy one. that's got a Parsonin's a good one. 
but uh, the comment can, it continues here. Afanasiev, uh, Reed Schaefer, Jack Matier, Jack, Jake Livingstone. I'm struggling to even come up with possibles. And do you seriously think that it that isn't going to be an epic problem down the road, <clears throat> especially in the postseason? And please don't say it's all about speed and skill. Now the playoffs <laughs> are still very much a grinder. They sure were. Lots very of true. You've got to have a blend. You've got to find that happy medium. But I think one thing we can all agree on is, yes, the Predators are very deficient when it comes to speed. And it's been very clear the last couple of postseasons they've been in. Yeah. The, the, The Avalanche, the reason why the Avalanche swept them was because the Preds could not keep up with them on the ice. Yep. Uh, you see them, you see a lot of the problems the Preds run into throughout even the regular season Mm -hmm. against some of these higher skill teams is, these teams flip the ice on the Predators so effortlessly. So the Predators, they'll 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 spend all this time like working so hard on the forecheck, dumping and chasing, trying to win puck battles, using all that energy just to get zone time, mm-hmm. not even getting shots on goal, just yeah. to get the just to get the puck. And I'm then you'll see these highly then you'll see these highly skilled skating fast teams with just outstanding passing, meticulous passing. And and all of this, and they just make it look so effortless to just flip the ice, counterattack, and next thing you know, the puck's in your net after yeah. you spent the last five minutes trying to grind away just to get a shot on goal. Or not a or, good formula. Or John Hines' system did not allow them to be the players that they could live up to be. Well, that's maybe? what we're hoping for. We're that's hoping the that whole, that's what it is. That's the whole hope that we have for. Yeah. Andrew Burnett right now is yeah. that he can find that untapped potential there yeah. in, in a new system. Cause the end of the season, they looked really good that all the young guys, they were, they were fast and they were still, you know, winning some games and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, you know, a little bit of hope for the future, but you do need some, some big guys too. So you're, you're going to be losing. Um, Borvieski was one of the not big guys, but, played big you know he won't be playing you need some more of those those guys to like that can handle being hit a little easier and that's kind of uh that was my 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 last piece i put on predlines.com was uh breaking down six players who are going to be on the roster bubble in training Mm -hmm. camp that i can really see happening and a couple of them are those more physical players i put cole smith in there mark jankowski's in there michael mccarron's in there Kiefer Sherwood's in there. You know, you got all these these bottom – you're going to figure out what is the bottom six going to look like in training camp. And all these guys I just mentioned here, they're going to be all battling with each other to yeah. get a fourth or third line role. And a lot of this hinges on what happens with Ryan Johansson. Absolutely. I saw a little bit of some, some, some good stuff out of Kiefer Sherwood that I liked, but then there was also some not so good. But, um, yeah, I would definitely say he's – on the bubble, out of out of all the ones you just mentioned, I would think he would have the best chance, maybe. And he plays a physical game. Kiefer Sherwood plays a very physical game. He gives you a little bit of both. He can. He's not shy to get shots on goal. We saw mm-hmm. that. But yeah. he plays a really gritty. I I think that very Kiefer Sherwood has a really good chance of 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 be, making this starting lineup to start next season. Yep. We may never. You got to have both. Aaron again. I don't <laughs> know about that. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. 
his net front presence. You, you can't discount That's his true. net front yeah, presence right. as a big right. body. And just like the comp, just like Shashku Tiger just said, you got to have some big bodied physical people too. You can't be all speed. It can't That's be true. all. It can't be all undersized in speed. You got to have some big bodies. That's what Michael McCarron's got going for him. Yeah. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen in free agency. They might try to go sign at least one veteran to fill in fill out this because Zach Sanford's probably gone. He's yeah. he's a free agent. So he's probably out of the mix now. So you're, he was kind of a physical player that you would fit in there. So we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting. That training camp is going to be extremely, extremely oh, yeah. competitive. Can't wait for that. They're it's all going to be trying to. They're all going to be trying to impress their new head coach and Andrew Burnett, and they're going to have mm-hmm. a lot to prove. Barry Trotz yeah. already said that no one should feel safe. Everyone's going to have work to do, from the veterans all the way down to the uh, roster bubble players that I just mentioned. Like to hear that. It's good, and that's how it should be. That's yeah, absolutely for sure. They Let's do move along here. Team. Let's move along here again. Congrats to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, really great team, a quality team, a deserving team. In yeah. no way am I coming away from the Stanley Cup thinking, okay, the best team didn't win. No, I think the best team definitely won the Stanley Cup this year. They did for sure. it as well. Yeah. Let's move along here. Let's keep a, let's keep up with this Stanley Cup theme here as we're brought to you by DraftKings promo code THPN and also part of the Hockey Podcast Network. All right, it's going to get a little sad here for some for, for some Preds fans. So now that the Golden Knights have won their first Stanley Cup, the total number of teams without a Stanley Cup has gone down to 11. 11 teams without a Stanley Cup. Of course, the Predators are one of them. Six teams have been around longer than the Predators who had their expansion year in 1998. Mm-hmm. That's the Canucks, the Sabres, the Coyotes, the Senators, the Sharks, and the Panthers, who just lost. Yep. So we are about to hurt some feelings. <laughs> hurt some feelings. <laughs> Out of these 11 teams, we want, we want our viewers and listeners to also tweet the show and tell us on YouTube right now. Out of the 11 teams who have not won a, won a Stanley Cup yet, out of this 11, who is the first to win their first Stanley Cup out of this group? Who does it first? <laughs> Rich, you get to answer this question first. Oh, I get to go first. Awesome. Because um, I'm just, you know. Well, mm, there's five teams who've never even made it to the Stanley Cup final. Arizona, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Seattle, and Columbus. Um, man, that is, that is tough. It is tough, right? It's very hard. You know, you look at like Minnesota – Possibly, they, that's what I was thinking. They play because uh, they they've become a perennial playoff yeah, team, if nothing else. They absolutely have, and they they play a tough game. Um, them, I mean, Seattle put in their second the year. There. Oh, that's good. Seattle made it to the playoffs in their second year, and they actually looked good. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I want to say Nashville, but I just don't know about that. That's going to happen. Mm. I don't know if so Florida. Look, Florida seems more like a fluky kind of thing at the end of the season. But it's going to be really hard for the Florida Panthers to make it back to the Stanley Cup in yeah, quick fashion. They barely, they barely made it into the playoffs. Let me let me go. Let me go by process of elimination first. Let me knock out teams who I know are oh, okay a long ways away. Let me let me let me do some deductive reasoning here, if you will. Vancouver okay. Canucks. I'm going to go ahead and cross them out. They're a long ways away. San Jose Sharks crossing them out. Oh yeah, Arizona oh, Coyotes 
crossing them out. Columbus Blue Jackets crossing them out. Definitely so let's get rid of those teams first. Now I can shrink this list a little bit and 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 honestly think about some of these teams. I agree with you, Rich. I think the Florida Panthers. It's going to be they made their run. It was fun. It was exciting. Yep. They got some questions to answer. They'll be back. Mm-hmm. They might be a playoff team, but they're mm-hmm. in a really, really tough conference. That conference just keeps getting more and more stacked. Yeah. So they might go through a Stanley Cup hangover next year. They might. Let's not forget the Florida Panthers barely made the playoffs. They did. Yeah, they did not. It was it was like last two weeks maybe of good playing that got them in. If I and they just went on a heater. They, they went just on went, yep. went on an absolute heater. So a lot of it with goalies. So uh, I like your Minnesota wild pick, but I'm going to actually, and I'm not going to say the predators. I'm sorry. I just can't do that. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a Homer here. I'm going to have to go with the Seattle Kraken. Oh, that's a good pick. Actually. They played really good. In the in the playoffs, up until you know the end, but um, I like them. I like them a lot. I was rooting for them. Um, yeah, I think I think Minnesota and Seattle is probably two good uh, picks for that. Um, and here's why. Here's why I hesitate when it comes to putting the Predators. I would actually put the Predators somewhat on the top end of this list if I'm just Mm -hmm. going out of these 11 teams. But I put Minnesota closer to a Stanley Cup than the Preds right now, for sure. I put Seattle closer to a Stanley Cup than the Preds right now. I would even have to maybe argue that Buffalo is slightly closer to a Stanley Cup than the Preds. Buffalo actually played well. Buffalo played well, and they've got some some young pieces to build around right now. Yeah. Even though Winnipeg, I think Winnipeg's about to take a a little bit of a fall backwards, but I said that about him last year too, and I was dead wrong. But I would still put Winnipeg ahead of the Preds. But I will say that all depends on what happens with Connor Hellebuck, who apparently wants know, out of Winnipeg. Out. Yeah. And it also depends on what um, Andrew Burnett can get out of this team, uh, out of the Predators. He might turn him around. He, you know, when he was coaching Florida, they played it really well. So, um, and just screwed, you know, got screwed in the screwed themselves actually in the playoffs. So, yeah. Know. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. My pick's Seattle. Out of these That's teams, good. most of these teams are a long ways away. Yeah, from winning a Stanley Cup, including the Preds. But out of teams who I think are realistically close, like maybe he could win a Stanley Cup in the next five years, per se, three to five years, I'll throw Seattle, Minnesota in there. And I got my eye on Buffalo. I really do. Yeah, I mean, they. I watched them play a few games. Uh, they played. They were good. I mean, they were really good. And then at the end of the season, they just they were, they were one of the highest. They were one of the highest scoring teams in the league for much much of the mm-hmm. season. Like they had yep. plenty of offense. It was just they didn't have enough uh, special teams going for them. They didn't have enough uh, goaltending going for them. The goaltending yeah, was what really was... hurt them. So yeah, for sure, keep your eye on Buffalo. Minnesota's going to be around. They're not going anywhere. Seattle, Seattle's going to try to follow the same blueprint that Vegas followed. Yeah, yeah. And oh, how hard? 
You know, you think, it's, you, you, think it, you think it's hard as a Predators fan to see a team like the Golden Knights win a Stanley Cup so quick? Oh, Imagine how it feels to be a Buffalo Sabres fan or a Vancouver yeah. Canucks fan. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I can't even really count the Arizona Coyotes because they that goes back to 1979 when they were the original Winnipeg Jets. Oh, that's right. For, for a little history lesson there. <laughs> so the, the Winnipeg Jets that now exist were the Atlanta Thrashers. From yep. 1999, the Arizona Coyotes that we're looking at on this list that goes back to 1979 were not the Arizona Coyotes. They were the Winni- original Winnipeg Jets who became the Phoenix Coyotes Phoenix and then Coyotes. changed their yep. name to the Arizona Coyotes. <clears throat> yep. Absolutely. You know, Sharks fans have been through a lot. Sharks were a perennial playoff team for a long time, but have never yeah. been able to hoist it. The Ottawa Senators. Here's a confusing thing I, that I came across looking at all these teams and their history, uh, kind of researching this segment. The Ottawa Senators actually do claim that they've won some Stanley Cups back in the 1920s, but it's not the oh, same Senators. That. It's not the same Senators franchise. The same yeah. team name. It's the same team name, not the same franchise. Did Johnny, our friend Johnny, did he? Put that out. Did he say something about that? I think he did. Yeah, I yeah, think, I think he did, he, I saw a tweet where he was talking to somebody and they said, gave that information. That's pretty, pretty good. That dude, man, he's got such a good hockey history. Uh, yeah, oh, for sure. He's a walking encyclopedia, hockey encyclopedia. Really yeah, um, yeah. You just, you just, you just. I'm just sitting here thinking when we're talking about Vegas winning in their sixth year. Imagine if like Seattle wins like within two or three years. Oh, fans, fans are really fans be upset. Are nuts. Yeah. I well, mean, and there are, and the, and the NHL's are the NHL's already saying they want to expand again. Yeah, yeah, and they'll and they'll do the same same format and give. You know, uh, I've you heard the rumblings. That, team I've heard I've heard rumblings mm-hmm. that the NHL really wants another team in Texas, and they That's, want their they want they want Houston. <laughs> That's what I've heard. That's what I've seen. So perhaps they put another team in Canada, but Houston kind of seems like a front runner as the next team to possibly get an expansion team in the NHL. The Nordiques, they need to bring them back. Because you'd get a natural rival. You know, Texas is a huge market. I think the Dallas Stars fans have shown that that, that obviously hockey in Texas can work. Mm -hmm. Houston's a massive, massive TV market. Yeah. So you wouldn't have any problem with that. Get a natural rivalry with Dallas and, to, and Houston. So we'll have to wait and see how how that all occurs. But yeah, it would not shock me at all if the Seattle Kraken, out of all those eleven teams, are the first to win their next Stanley Cup. Yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> that'd be so right. weird. Good stuff. For sure. Let's see. The Houston, what would they call them? Okay, we we got uh, Dead Cell in here, otherwise known as UC Soros. We haven't seen you in a while, man. Good to see you. Says, what's up, fellas? Figured I'd drop in for a few. We got to ask you, if you just caught the previous segment, let's see if he wants to drop in a comment. Who do you think out of the 11 teams that haven't won a Stanley Cup yet, who's the first out of that those 11 teams to win their first Stanley Cup? We'll see if see if anybody... If our, We'll see if our buddy wants to hop in. Yeah, we're not getting answers on that. Yeah, That's okay. It's a tough question. It is hard. It's very hard. It's hard enough to, to win the thing to begin with. And it's like, you know, who out of all these guys are going to win? It's hard to pick. I, I picked uh, Toronto winning the whole thing like a moron. So, you know, 
And I had Carolina, so I was wrong on that one too. Carolina got whooped. Unfortunately, I was rooting for yeah, them. I was, they couldn't overcome I the rooting, injuries. I was rooting for whoever Florida was playing. Could not overcome the injuries. All right, we're about to move on here in episode 188. We got a few things to get into here still. We're going to oh, look at the last five first-round picks. Oh, I said, hey, that, that's what I said. Sabres, I said Sabres as well. They're, they're sneaky. They're, they're, they they're, they're getting better. And, and you know what? I'd be really, really happy for that fan base. Oh, I know. Especially and like – Jack and it's not didn't just, even and it, sniff the Stanley Cup for years and then makes a move and then wins it in his first year away from the team. That's and bad. it's not even and it's not <laughs> even just hockey. Buffalo sports fans in general. Yeah. Because you gotta you gotta count the Buffalo uh Bills in football mm-hmm. as well. Like they lost four straight Super Bowls. Yeah. Back yeah. in the nineties when Jim Kelly was their quarterback. I mean, that that fan base knows heartbreak like nobody yeah. else. So that's awesome. Would not have a problem at all. All right. We're going to tell you about DraftKings. Even though the Stanley Cup playoffs are over, the deal remains. Hopefully you light, you lit the lamp these past playoffs, but if you didn't, it's okay. Because guess what? DraftKings is still there for you with some amazing offers. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPENY or text 467 467- 369 in Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 and up in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook. For details and state-specific responsible gambling resources, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.com. DraftKings.com slash hockey terms. So your last chance, even though hockey's over, get on over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. We have new promo codes coming out in the coming days. So you can get, uh, for all of our new users for DraftKings, you can take advantage of the promo code THPN. Have a lot of fun. It's baseball season now, everybody. So I hope you like the diamond because we don't have basketball anymore. Hockey's over. Football Hockey. is still a few months away. And, I mean, and let all right, you got golf. The U.S. Open starts tomorrow. So you got that. Golf. You still got a lot. Soccer happens pretty much year round. So if you're a soccer yeah, fan, always you're always soccer. covered. Yeah. I guess is NASCAR. You got NASCAR, right? NASCAR is going on right yeah, now. That's yeah, that's still the. You got NASCAR. Yeah, you got NASCAR. Um, and yeah, you got baseball. You got the College World Series happening. So you still got some stuff going on out there, but if you if you're a hockey fan and a football fan and a basketball fan, you're out right now. Yeah. So it's gonna be tough sledding. It's it's the dog days of summer if you're a sports fan. For sure. I always look at the look at the Stanley Cup like when I watch it, I'm always like, you know, this is very exciting and it's been a long season and we've you know done done the podcast throughout the whole thing, mm-hmm. but then you're like, 
today there's no there's not going to be any hockey for <laughs> not for a long time <laughs> three months it's like ah. we do got the draft though the draft's less than yep, two weeks draft. away that'll hold us over uh Dead Cell says, I feel like they have everything but a goalie referring to the Buffalo Sabres as the next team to win their first Stanley Cup out of the 11. Yep. If they can get a marginal goalie, they have a shot. Yeah, that's kind of what we were saying as well. They, that's what they need. They got the offense. They got the young talent. They're, they've definitely gone through that rebuild process. They got they had get a good goaltender, but I guess they just still weren't good enough. They had Linus Allmark, and he had an amazing Let- season. Let's keep the draft theme going on here uh, because we are getting ready to have the draft here in Nashville and two, it's just two weeks away. Can't wait to be there. We're going to throw out our grades of the last first round picks of the last five drafts. Now, really it's only four of the last five drafts because in 2018, 18, the predators did not pick until the fourth round. Yep. Which is yep. pretty rough. It's yep. the exact opposite this time around. They got 13 picks going into this draft. You're going to be moving if you can on just hit, If you can just hit on three or four of these 13 picks, if you end up actually – I don't think they're going to make all 13 picks. They're going to trade some picks away probably. Oh, yeah. But if you can just hit on three or four of those picks, we're, we're in good shape because I feel like the mm-hmm. Preds have, have strung together a couple really good draft classes that are looking good, and we're about to give some grades here for where we stand right now. After watching some of these draft picks, um, some of them have made it to the NHL. A lot of them have played a lot of junior hockey and uh, minor league hockey. So we're going to go down the list and grade our last first round picks. Let's let's start with 2019, which was would be Philip Tomasino. Philip Tomasino. This is a tough one for me to grade. It is because I feel like this is. I don't want to say make or break year for him, but he definitely has to show us something. He is on the same trajectory as Ellie Tovenin. Don't say that, Rich. I know, I know. I hate to say it. You're, but I think you're breaking your own rules here, man. You I said know. we're not allowed to I use the T word say, anymore. Say the T word, but that's that's really what it feels like, though. I mean, uh, I hate to say that. He he's he's shown you know some good. Um, burst throughout the season when he played and then he didn't play much till the end of the season this year. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I agree though. It's kind of a, not a make or break, but like, you need well, to I kind of, it. here's what, here's one thing that worries me about Thomas. You know, I worry about did his development get stunted a little bit by not playing the full season in Nashville this past year. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it did. I'm just throwing it out there as a thought. Because everyone expected him to be in the Preds lineup game one of last season, and he was sent back. A lot of it was – they just the coaching staff, Heinz's staff, mm-hmm. basically said he needed more work. He needed more fine-tuning. He needed to go down to Milwaukee and work on his game. And he eventually ended up getting called back up because the Preds had all these injuries, and he got back into the mix. But – now you wonder how is Andrew Burnett going to look at Philip Tomasino? Mm-hmm. Because originally, originally Philip Tomasino was thought about as a. Eventually, we want him to be a center, but I don't yeah. know how. I, I don't see Tomasino being a center anytime soon on the Preds because the Preds are so uh, backlogged with centers. Right for centers, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know how Burnett's going to see him either, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, if if it does wind up being that he wasn't developed properly, you can point that to John Hines, I guess. You can blame that on him because he didn't develop. Oh, they will. Don't worry. They will. Yeah, they didn't develop uh, Tolan improperly. And now if they do it again, if it happens again with Tomasino, um, yeah, Hines just is not your guy to develop young players. So, I don't know. Hopefully that doesn't happen. So Tomasino ended up playing in 31 games this past season, put up 18 points, very respectable, considering he got brought in late in the season. Followed up by his rookie campaign, he played in 76 games and put up 32 points. So if we're just going off of uh, point efficiency per game, if we're just using that, I know it's a small sample size, but – Tomasino didn't drop off at all in his 31 games compared to his rookie campaign. Yeah. If you look at it, trying to find is Yeah, he actually he actually increased his point per game metric from his rookie campaign. He went from uh 0.42 points per game to 0.58 points per game. So he didn't drop off in his 31 games that he got into in terms of producing points. He also raised his shots per game from his rookie season to 1.74 shots per game. So, I mean, he was – he looked pretty good to me, honestly. Yeah. Dead Cell said, Hines and Poyle wanted Tomasino to be an NHL center. He's not – Tomasino will not ever be a better center than any of Parson and Glass or Novak. Man, tend to agree with that. Well, I mean, he's 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 got a great point. I think Thomas. That's kind of what I was getting to. Tomasino is going to have to find his way to be a regular on this lineup as a winger, and I, I'm totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Too. Totally okay with that, especially those three names that he just mentioned. So if we got to give a grade for this segment, we got to give grades here. I'm going to give Tomasino and that draft pick right now a very solid B, just a B. Can't give it an A. Can't give it an A because I just don't know. We haven't seen enough of them yet. Yeah. I can give him a a B because I feel like it's at the very worst, Tomasino is going to be around for a little bit. He's going to continue to get a little bit better. Now, is he going to eventually become a first-round type of pick where he should be in the top six regularly? That's why I don't give it an A. I can't. That's yeah. why I can't give that. Give it an A right now. Give it yeah. a B. Yeah, that's good. That's a good grade, for sure. Let's move He's ahead here. Let's go to. Let's go to 2020. 2020, 2020. draft. That was a big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. the draft that we took Yaroslav Skara first off. Yep. Rich, give us your good. grade on that one. As we look at it now, I think it was a. We've seen him do some good stuff in Milwaukee. He he did play in an NHL game this season. Um, I think it's well, a that good. Was a, that was such a crazy game too against Montreal. Yeah, that was. Oh crazy. my gosh. Um, I think he's going to be playing for the Predators soon, so I, I think it's an A. Yeah, I, I give it an A, a for right now. A. You can't go low. You can't go I, lower I, than an A right now because. Yeah, he's still viewed as one of the top goalie prospects right now out yeah. there. Struggled. We haven't struggled in we the playoffs. Seen, I thought he looked real for his first full season in North America. He looked just he looked just fine. He looked solid. 
And he's a character. Everyone was expect everyone was expecting him to have these like lights out numbers and, and stuff. It's like it's his first professional year in yeah. North America. Right, totally in different. the AHL. Completely different than than the time he was playing over in Russia. Mm-hmm. Very different. Very different. Yeah. I thought he handled it very well. He handles it like a leader. He's got a he's got a great swagger about him that's going to really help him make that tough leap to the NHL. I don't think we're going to see him as a backup next season unless huh, we've already talked about this. Nope. Unless <laughs> something happens, say. unless something happens at the trade deadline, where not only if UC Saros gets traded, but once again Kevin Lankinen might come up as as mm-hmm. a trade possibility. That's true. Yeah. But I'll give it an A. I got to give it an A. Just say that. Um, Yeah. Next. We had another pick in that first round that year, didn't we? Uh, No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Yeah, 2021 uh, was when they had two first round picks. So uh, 2021 was uh, Fedor Shvechkov, number 19 overall pick. I feel really good about that one. I'm giving that one a yeah. I'm giving that one a, I'm giving that pick a B plus right now a B plus because yeah. Fedor Fedor Shveshkov is actually starting to show so he was kind of, he he fell back in that first round of that draft because a lot of scouts said he didn't really bring a lot of offense to yeah. the game so he fell but he's actually been working on that and he's been showing some things um, and that part of his game I'm really excited to see Shveshkov finally get over to North America and play for the Admirals. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, got a great two way game to him. He's got a great two way game to him, and I think at the very worst, Svechkov will be a very quality bottom six, third line type of player for the Predators in the net. Probably not for another two or three years. Yeah, but yeah. he's got that type of potential to, at the very worst. I think he's got a his ceiling might be kind of low, but I think he's also got a pretty high floor to where at the very worst, I think he'll end up being a very good bottom six type of player. Yeah, defensive player. Dead Cell gave twenty twenty one picks a C. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Says I'm not confident that Svechkov or Larue will be anything more than bottom six players. If and that's no, that's what I just said. I said that's their that's their bottom. That's that their bottom floor. I could yeah. see Svechkov. Let's see how Svechkov looks once he gets over to North America first. Yeah, but yeah, you know, you get yourself a really good. You need a really good third line player. Oh yeah, I mean you, you got all that. You can you can still call that pick a good pick then. So yeah. that's what we have to wait and see. Yeah. But Zachary Larue, ugh, I gotta I gotta go with I gotta go with Detzel on that one with his comment mm-hmm. about Larue. I'm worried about Zachary Larue. I'm worried about can he keep his keep his composure on the he NHL cannot, level? Yeah, he has a tough time keeping his composure now. So, yeah, and it might be age or lack of maturity, but. Um, yeah, I got to give that a C, maybe yeah. even a C minus right now. <clears throat> yeah, it's not really, uh, we were all happy about it, you know, because he said he was like a Brad Marchand type player. And was like, oh, we could use one of those. But I think that wore thin a little bit because his antics. He's got a lot of work to do. He's got a yeah. lot of work to do to, yeah. to be. I agree. NHL ready. He's very, very far off, and that and that really hurts because you look at you look at a draft where you have two first round draft picks in twenty twenty one, and they traded up to get him. Hurts. Yes, that hurts. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it, but 
the stock is definitely down on Zachary LaRue. And I guess you can make an argument maybe it's down on Shvechkov as well. But like I said, I've seen I've been seeing some good reports yeah. on Shvechkov working on his offensive gaming sh- game and showing a lot of improvement in that area over this past season. So I'm not ready to give up on Shvechkov. I'm not ready to give up on LaRue either, but I'm no. definitely a lot higher on I'm de- definitely a lot higher on Shvechkov and his potential yeah. than I am on LaRue right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And then finally, even though it's really hard to grade it because we still don't know. But let's go know. ahead and, and <laughs> let's go ahead and go with our first round draft pick from 2022, number 17 overall pick, looking like a steal at this point, and that's Joachim Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, um, as Rich likes to call him. You hear nothing but good things about this dude, so I don't know. It's looking look like what he a, did in the and look what he did in the Calder Cup playoffs. <laughs> yeah, look what he sure. did in the Calder Cup playoffs. If if he doesn't. If we didn't get all, all the good looks we got of him in the Calder Cup playoffs with the Milwaukee Admirals, then maybe I'd be hesitant to go with an A on this one. But <laughs> yeah, Dead Cell says A. He, he's given the rare A plus 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 four, four pluses. pluses. That's good. Yeah, yeah. you got to go. You got to go Everybody A here. A plus. I'm not going to go A. I can't. I can't. I can't be giving out pluses here. I'm just going to go A. Yeah. Go A. Yeah. I think everybody's excited. Uh, to to get him playing I, for the Predators, probably not next year. Great. I don't, yeah, I don't know, next. Rich. No, uh, no. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it might be. You You're think right. they weren't they weren't shy about calling up Luke Evangelista? They weren't shy about. I know yeah. a lot of injuries happened because of that. That's true. Let's but. let's see how the first half of next season goes for the Predators. Let's see yeah. how that first half of next of last season of next season goes. Yeah. If they're not competing if they're very far back and it, it kind of becomes one of those throwaway type of years and you have to start looking for the future and and you want to call uh Kimmel up for like 10 games or so just to get his feet wet in the NHL see what he can do I say you do it yeah and he might he might really show out in rookie camp too so yeah that, that's always a, a good thing so I feel like there's a higher chance than not that he gets called up at some point next season. Yeah. Even if it's just for a short stint. Yeah. And that would be good. Hmm. But you got to go A there. You got to go A when that. it looks Yeah, you have to. That pick yeah. right now, for sure. Yeah, that, that dude's looking good. So, love it. Hmm. Love it. There you have it. All right, we're going to send you on over. If you're listening on any of your favorite podcast platforms right now, then you're about to hear – uh, my interview with Kyle Pereira of The Last Word on Sports broke down a lot of uh, potential draft targets for the Predators. I had my top five tra- uh, draft board, and I wanted to get his thoughts on that. He gives out a sleeper pick for the Predators, a, a, a prospect that no one is really oh, talking about. No, I've, I haven't seen anybody uh, on their mock drafts have the Predators taken this guy, but Kyle Pereira was very, very high on this prospect, so stay tuned for that. We also talked about how do we see the top 10 of this draft going? Which teams might shake things up? Is it going to be all chalk? We know that Connor Bedard's going number one. We know Fentilli's probably going number two. He pretty much said the top three is set, but number four, after the number three pick, Kyle Pereira said that there's a lot of potential for volatility and and shifting and teams not picking players you might think they're going to pick and and, of course, there's always that possibility that someone trades up. You're mm-hmm. talking about a team like the Predators who have 13 picks to throw around. And they, also have a lot, 
and they have a lot of picks in future drafts to throw around, and they have assets. They have prospects that they can throw around as well. Yep. So that's what makes this draft exciting. The Predators could be movers in this draft as early yeah. as the first round. Do not overlook that possibility. Yeah. So I asked Kyle Pereira about that as well, the potential of that. It was a really outstanding awesome. interview. It's almost an hour long. So if you're still if you, we're already almost an hour in, so we're giving you a two hour edition of Catfish on Ice here in the dead of the offseason. So Enjoy. be happy about that. We appreciate you joining us, everyone, for the live edition Absolutely. on our YouTube channel. And also on Twitter, please hit subscribe if you like what you see on YouTube right now. Leave a comment. Follow us on Twitter if you'd like as well, at Catfish Ice. We're on Facebook as well. You can watch live episodes there as well. Thank you so much, Rich. I hope you have a great rest of your evening. You too, man. Next time I talk to you, we will be all about the draft and breaking down the draft. So we will be ready for that. And then I'll be getting ready for my road trip back home. That will be amazing. All right. Everyone, Everyone have a great night. Take care. Yep, have a good one. All right, how's it going, everybody? This is episode 188 of Catfish on Ice, brought to you by DraftKings, promo code THPN. And also, as always, we're part of the awesome Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome in. Getting really close here to the 2023 NHL Draft, which is going to be in Nashville. And for that... We got an awesome guest. We got Kyle joining us. What's up, man? With last word on sports, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. You. When was the last time you were on our show? I think it was uh, probably I'm trying to remember. Was it was it last year? I believe. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't that long ago. If I if I'm not mistaken, I feel like if it was last year, that's crazy. Time's we're gonna by. We're going to have to dig into the archive. You've definitely been on the show before and definitely wanted to have you back as we're getting closer to the draft here and everything. It's, it's, I haven't been this excited. And I don't see if you feel the same way, Kyle. I haven't been this excited about a draft overall, just not about what the Predators might do, but just the whole like first round is just going to be really exciting. So many good prospects. We're finally gotten away from the, um, all the COVID shutdowns and how we couldn't really scout some of these players like we wanted to. There's plenty of scouting reports out there for all these exciting prospects. And you do a lot of really awesome scouting reports for last word on sports. That's why I wanted to have you on. So just kind of tell us what your overall feelings are about this year's draft. What's so exciting about it? I mean, obviously the top end of the draft is just, ridiculous uh i mean adam fantilli would be a number one overall pick in just about any draft class you could say the same about leo carlson you could say the same even about guys like depending upon the draft of course but matt vimishkov if it wasn't for the russian situation even with the russian situation he would be a number one pick in most drafts uh you could argue guys like will smith and, and and things like that zach benson even um could be number one picks in regular draft classes so the fact that this class has that many players that are that good where they could go number one in most other drafts is just insane. I think that's where the largest bit of excitement is coming from. It's the top end of the class. Then the depth of this class, it might not be overwhelmingly talented. It might not be overwhelmingly skilled. Uh, there's a lot of boomer busts. There's a lot of guys that don't really have the highest ceiling, but it is deep. I would say three rounds of future any potential NHLers that could come through. I mean, it is a deep draft, maybe not the most exciting, like I said, uh, in terms of like later picks, like outside the top 20 might not be super exciting, but still, I mean, they are, there are some really good names to pay attention to. 
Absolutely. We got Kyle Pereira of the Pereira Report. Uh, last word on sports, follow him at Pereira underscore report. That's P-E-R-E-I-R-A underscore report on Twitter. You won't be mad about that. You got to get ready. You got to do your research. We're less than two weeks away from the draft. That's why we got Kyle on here. All right, so let me dive right in. Of course, we are a National Predators podcast. So you're going you're gonna to have to talk about a little Smashville here today, Kyle, if you're okay with that. Yeah, of course. All right, so I've got my top five uh, Preds draft board personally that I put out on Predlines.com a little less than a week ago. Uh, might revisit that like a couple of days before the draft. We'll see. But as of now, I want to talk about those five. Get your thoughts on if you think they could fall to 15. Do you think they'll be in that neighborhood? Do you think they would be a good match? Tell us about their strengths and weaknesses, of course, as well. Let me start with one, which I think is the coolest name in the entire draft class for that alone. Axel Sandin Pelica, a defenseman with a ton of offensive game. He's probably considered one of the top defensemen in this draft class, correct? Yes. He's actually my number one defenseman on my board. All right. So, Kyle, go through. Do you think – I mean, I think it's a stretch that he falls to 15, but crazier things, I guess, have happened because, you know, you get this run on offensive players. All these all these teams want top, top 10, top 15 offensive playmakers. But Sandin Pelica is an offensive playmaker. He's an offensive defenseman, correct? Correct. Yeah, he's definitely offensive leaning. All right, so tell us about his strengths and weaknesses. Do you think he could fall to 15? Do you think it'd be a good pick for the Preds if somehow he did fall that far back and kind of what you like about his game? In terms of him falling to 15th overall, it's definitely possible. Um, there are so many outstanding forwards in the class, and uh, some of the defensemen, even guys like Sandine Pelica and uh, Rainbacher, are overlooked a bit because of how good the forwards have been this year. Um, so that's the biggest thing going uh, for the Predators in terms of him falling to number 15, that's for sure. Um, whether he actually falls is questionable because all it takes is one team going for a defenseman. That could be Sandin Pelica, it could be Rainbacher, and that could start a domino effect of defensemen maybe being taken a bit earlier than they should. Um, but anything could happen, anything's possible. But the odds of him falling to 15, I would say, are moderate at best, um, just simply for how good the forwards have been this year. As for his strengths and weaknesses, I mean, he's an offensively leaning defenseman. Um, when he played in the Junior 20 National League out in Sweden, he was a dominant force uh, as a puck mover, getting pucks up ice. He was outstanding. Um, his passing ability, his ability to work from the point area is arguably the best in the class amongst defensemen. He, his ability to control play, uh, facilitate play from the point is outstanding. Um as for his shot, he does need to develop it a little bit, but he still has a really good shot, and his mobility, his skating is so good that he opens up those passing and shooting lanes consistently in the offensive zone, and that was, again, especially noticeable when he played against kids around his own age group in the under-20s out in Sweden. So that is what makes him so exciting and, and gives him such a high ceiling. It's his offensive game, especially if he continues to develop his shot he could be a force in the offensive zone. Mm. Um, and again, I mentioned his transitional abilities um, in the junior 20 league. I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with transitionally. And in the SHL level, that definitely took a hit, but it could be because of the pressure. Like one mistake, he could be benched because he's the youngest kid on the team. Uh, usually young kids like that don't get a big role in the SHL. So one mistake, he could be bumped off off the lineup mm -hmm. and could be a scratch or could be benched for the rest of that game. So he definitely played a safer game in the SHL, but that potential is still there because he was still effective 
exiting the defensive zone in the SHL, even against men. Um, in his defensive game, and this is extremely noticeable in the SHL compared to his junior 20 performance, his defensive game was way better, way better in the right. SHL um, than in the junior 20. He took less less risks, so that was a big reason why his defensive game, in my opinion, is better than the public consensus mm -hmm. believes. Wow. That's interesting. So yeah, here's what draws me to him. Obviously when I'm thinking from a predators standpoint, we are, the predators are definitely in this transitional phase where they're going to be calling up a lot of people from their prospect pool over the next couple of years. And so obviously it's time to reload and it's not just one position. It's all throughout the line. So that's why I think, even though I do think the predators need help at winger and, and speed and pure offensive players more so than maybe a defenseman, why I put Sandin Pelica in um, my top five trade board for the Predators is his quarterback playmaking potential on a power play. That's what draws me most. And we all know who Roman Yossi is, right? Roman Yossi is one of the most transitional uh, defense, best defensemen in the NHL. And so Sandin Pelica, if he could eventually evolve into a top four defenseman and in the next three to four years in the NHL. I mean, that'd be a, a, a great pick for the Predators at 15. 100%. Awesome. We got your scouting report up here. Again, last word on sports is where you can get all the prospect scouting reports from Kyle Pereira. And uh, yeah, so some of the stuff I'm seeing here is his skating is a thing of beauty. He's technically sound. Straight line speed is excellent. I mean, you love all of that. And then Barry Trotz, new GM now coming in for the Predators. He has already made it very clear that he wants more speed. He's going to take some risk in this draft. And I, I think that Trotz definitely has Sandin Pelica on one of his short list of prospects. He would love to draft at number 15. So that's how we're starting this one off here with my top five trade board. Let's move on to the next one. This one, this one, I don't even want to get too excited about it. Cause I just don't think he's going to fall to number 15, but I keep saying, and I think I, you might even know who I'm going, where I'm going here. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I can't understand other than one thing for why he is dropping like a like a like a boulder and dropping a boulder into the middle of a lake. Like I don't know why he's dropping so much because he has so much top ten potential. And that is Zach Benson. Give us the rundown on Zach Benson. I've seen some draft some mock drafts that say that he the Preds could take him. I don't know how he falls to number fifteen. Yeah, so when it comes to Zach Benson, I think the uh, the biggest thing – I apologize for the background noise if you can hear that. Hey, it know. happens. Hey, man, <laughs> hopefully it's not too important of a phone call because we are talking about some important draft stuff right now. <laughs> yeah, so in, in regards to Zach Benson's fall, I think a lot of people are overblowing it a bit because of how good the forwards are in this class. Um, but for Zach Benson, the biggest knock on him is not even a knock, but it's his top-end speed uh, and his skating, which – isn't even a weakness for him at all. Um, you, if you're going to use that argument on um, Benson for him not having this breakaway speed like a Connor McDavid or a Braden Point, then you have to use that same argument on Connor Bedard because Bedard plays very, very similarly in that aspect in terms of skating where he doesn't blow past defenders. What makes Benson such a great skater is his agility, his acceleration and short area burst, and the fact that he's so much smarter than every single person that he goes up against on the ice every single night where he's always two, three, even four steps ahead, where he doesn't have to be fast. 
if he develops that top end speed and becomes an elite skater, look out because Benson will rip you apart on offense transitionally, even defensively, he'll rip you apart if you can unlock that skating. So I think it's blown a little bit out of proportion, um, his skating or lack thereof of top end speed because he just outsmarts you. He doesn't need that speed to be an effective skater. Um, and another reason for his fall is his size, which again, does not really merit a lot of, I mean, it's not a really solid argument. You have guys like Cole Caulfield, who's finding success in the NHL and several other undersized guys who have played in the NHL, like a Marty St. Louis, who's a hockey hall of famer. Um, so to use the argument that he's too small or not fast enough is just not right. It's not right. It's, it's just, it's, it's wrong in so many levels because yeah, he is undersized, but good luck trying to hit him. He's so slippery. You can't, you can't hit a guy like him. Um, what, 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 I think the terminology you use in your scouting report is he has a low center of gravity. There. Yes. So even if you do get contact on him, most times he holds his own in those physical altercations. Um, Mitch Brown, who works for Elite Prospects, put out a big article, very in-depth article about his ability off the boards. He's one of the most effective players along the wall and along the boards in the offensive zone, despite his size. Imagine if he bulks up a little bit more. If he was an inch taller, or grows an inch taller, just imagine how much better he'll be in those situations. He's already so well-versed playing along the boards and he's just so effective. And um, another thing that Mitch Brown pointed out in that article was he's tracked um, prospects since before 2015 when Connor McDavid uh, got drafted. And he said that Zach Benson has the second most expected primary assists that he's ever tracked behind only Connor McDavid. And that's in a data set wow. that has over 3000 players. I mean, he is that effective in the offensive zone as a playmaker. And I, I just don't see why people are so low on him, why he's dropping on lists. Again, the top end of the draft is so good. And it's yeah, well, no doubt yeah. that he he would fall outside the top five maybe. But for people arguing that he could fall outside the top 10 just blows my mind. And if that happens, and for whatever reason, he's available at number 15 for Nashville, there should be parties across the on oh all the streets because and that's that why be- I don't even I don't even want to set myself up for disappointment because I just don't think it's going to happen. But it's going to obviously he's number one on my draft board. I, I mean, I, there's no argument to be had. I just I'm afraid to even put him on my draft board because I have to see it to believe it. I feel yeah. like someone like Buffalo, Anaheim, someone's going to take him. Arizona, someone's going to take him if he falls out of the top ten. I, I'm trying to remember who's in that 11 to 14 range. It's like, are for you, me, you off, off the top of your head, I, who's 11 to 14? I know Buffalo's in there somewhere. I feel like one of them's going to take take Benson off the board before it gets to Nashville. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head what teams are in 11 to 14. I should know because I have a mock draft coming up and I should have the That's order in my head. But I can yeah, find it. Yeah, someone, someone should absolutely take them before 15. And if they don't, they're going to look really stupid. Um, just not even a, probably two years down the line, just, he's that good. I I don't see it in a world where Zach Benson doesn't become an effective player. He may not become elite, um, in that sense, but I look at a guy like Zach Benson, I look at his effectiveness and I attract, uh, Tampa Bay lightning games this year, actually. Um, and when I was watching Zach Benson, he's not going to be a Braden point type of player. That's not really his style points, more of a goal scorer. Um, and he has more of that killer instinct in terms of, of scoring goals, getting to the low slot area. Benson doesn't really do that. 
um, very often. But the way he attacks through the transition and off the rush is so similar to Braden Point that I don't see a world where he doesn't become a, an effective NHLer someday. I really don't. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about Zach Benson's game, on top of all the offensive qualities and the way he skates so aggressively and, and makes things happen, makes forces guys. I love the forechecking that he yeah. does. And that fits. I mean, we don't really know exactly what the new look predators are going to look like because they have a new head coach now as well and Andrew Burnett. He's going to preach way more offense. He's going to preach way more taking chances up the ice as opposed to what John Hines did, which was a lot of um, dump and chase, a lot of winning puck battles along the boards and just trying to just out physical your opponent. Andrew Burnett's going to have a much more of a transitional transition speed type of game, which is why Zach Benson would be the perfect fit for the new look Nashville Predators down the road if Andrew Burnett's going to be taken over because he brings it all. He 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 makes things happen offensively with how he skates and how he forechecks and he forces turnovers. I'm seeing in your scouting report here that he had 13 forced turnovers in three tracked games. That is insane, dude. That is insane to think that a player of his size forced 13 turnovers in three games. Yeah, and he's just so effective in every facet, offense, transition, forechecking, backchecking, and then his defensive game is incredibly mature already. I mean, there's very little that he can't do already at a young age, and that's why, like I said, I, I can't imagine a world where Zach Benson isn't in the NHL one day. For sure. Awesome. So we've got two off our draft board there already. We uh, did – we uh, sand in Pelica, the defenseman, the only defenseman in my uh, top five draft board, but one that I'd be very happy about because I love his offensive game. I love his transitional play. Has the potential to be a top four defenseman one day, and the Predators got to start thinking about reloading their defensemen in the prospect pool as well, not just wingers and centers. All right, and then we just got Zach Benson out of the way. I'm not getting my hopes up as much as I love this prospect so much. I just don't think he's going to make it to number 15. Let me move on to another player who I am a huge fan of, and I do think there's a very, very, very high-end chance that the Predators will be able to take this player at number 15. That is Gay Perot. Comes from NHL Bloodlines. His father is Yannick Perot. Very, very successful NHL player. But other reasons why I really like Gay Perot is he's just – they the scouts cannot get enough of his very high offensive IQ. He is like a point guard in basketball, dissecting the play, making the players around him better. Give us some things. Give us the lowdown on Gay Pro because I actually think there's a very good chance that he'll be available at number 15. So Pro on my board is actually at 20, um, and that may not sound super exciting um, in terms of like being a high end prospect. You'd expect him to be ranked higher. Um, but because it's more of a testament to how good this draft really is. Um, the reason why Perot's ranked at 20 for me, it's not because of a knock on his offensive game at all. I think you look at his offensive game, he's very well balanced. He has a very underrated shot. I don't think people talk about it enough. Um, personally, uh, I think he's got good power, very, very accurate shot as well. And he has no problems getting him off either. And you mentioned his IQ, which is extremely evident when you watch his game and you read other scouting reports. He finds open areas consistently. His, he has such incredible vision away from the puck where he can exploit defensive zone coverages and find open spaces and high danger areas and be a threat as a goal scorer in those areas because of just how consistently he finds those openings in the offensive zone. It's just incredible to watch. 
um, with the puck on his stick as a playmaker, just setting aside his shot for a moment, his playmaking is amongst the best in the class. His vision is great. He has no problems. He oozes confidence. So he has no problems going for those high danger passes with regularity and trying to exploit defensive zone coverages with regularity. The biggest issue that I have with Gabe Roll, and it, it stems a lot from my player development research that I've been doing, and that's he plays on such a good NTDB team that is he getting some of the softer matchups? You know, are his teammates also helping push his game further? I mean, yes, he's making his teammates better because of his high-paced game, but how much of it is him and how much of it is also his star caliber line mates and teammates with Ryan Leonard, Will Smith, Oliver Moore, guys that I right now have ranked ahead um, of Perot. So there's a lot to weigh in and take into account in regards to that. Uh, another reason why I have him ranked a little bit lower than some of the consensus is his defensive game is very far back right now, uh, especially compared to other prospects in this draft. He is very un- disengaged and uh, not the most active in the defensive zone. As soon as one of his teammates gets possession of the puck, he flies up ice. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there are guys in the NHL. Kent Johnson was a guy that did something similar in his draft year with Michigan where he wasn't very engaged defensively and would jump up ice really quickly. And he's turned out just fine for Columbus. There's really not a lot to hate about his game. Um, but there are concerns about translating that offensive game, that high pace to the NHL level. If he's able to transition from you know the USHL smoothly into the NCAA and then from there work on that game even further and then transition that to the pro level, then he could be easily a high-end hockey player. I don't know if he'll ever be elite. Uh, he could reach that level, of course. I mean, it's hard to really say he won't at this stage because his his stick handling, his well-balanced game with a shot, his passing ability, and his IQ that's off the charts, constantly able to find open space, spells success at the next level. Mm-hmm. But with the puck, he plays at such a high pace, fast pace, that sometimes he just makes some questionable mistakes with the puck. Um, sometimes he forces plays um, with the puck and he can get himself into tighter situations and he isn't always able to stick handle out of it. He's not exactly the best skater either. Um, he's not a bad skater by any means, um, but he doesn't quite have the skating ability to get out of certain tight situations either. So the biggest thing for Pearl is, and this is why it's so good to go to the NCAA level for him is he has a lighter game schedule. So he's able to hit the gym more, get stronger on his feet, um, and also work on that skating ability with now NHL level coaches, um, work on that defensive game the same way Kent Johnson was able to out in Michigan to give him a better chance of making it to the NHL level. If parole hits, he could be a steal in this draft. Um, but I question whether he will hit. Um, I hope he does. Obviously I'm not going to ever root against a, a young kid, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. my big concern with pro at this stage. And that's kind of why he's not a, you know, he's not a, a boom top 10 type of pick because he does, you know, once you start getting into this 15 to 30 range, every prospect that's going in this range is going to have their weaknesses to go along with their strengths. And you're going to, you know, you're taking a chance. You're taking, ta- always going to take a chance when you're in the draft, especially when you're getting into the mid to late first round and definitely beyond that. But one thing I really like about Gabe Pro more than anything is he seems like a pretty safe pick. Like, He's a good consolation prize if you if one of these like a Zach Benson doesn't fall to your grips, then I think at number fifteen, Gabe Perot can be a very safe pick because he does already have so many great offensive qualities that will eventually translate to the NHL. And then also 
the weaknesses that you are mentioning, his deficiencies, he can work on those things. You know, yeah. he's he's definitely way more of a of a development type of player. I think the biggest concern and a very valid concern that you just brought up, Kyle, is how much of his success is because he played on such a loaded team for the U.S. Uh, development team. Just want to mention, I came across this earlier today on a scouting report about him. Uh, teammate Ryan Leonard, who's a top 10 projected pick. Uh, of course, teammates are always going to say really nice things about each other. But Leonard calls uh, Pro the smartest player in the draft. So I like smart players. I do. And I think that that could bode well for him to eventually, at worst, I think he's a bottom six quality NHL player, right? Do you think that's probably his a safe measuring stick for him i think a safe projection for pro is like a top nine guy similar to like blake coleman before uh he signed uh in calgary where in new jersey he was a third line scorer that could also play really well on the first or second line uh when given opportunities he would do well in those spots um i don't think he's as good in terms of defensive abilities um as a guy like coleman but i think he has those same traits where I think he can play well in any situation on any line with anybody because he has a good shot. He exploits defensive zone coverages and is able to open up passing lanes for teammates because of his positioning. So he could be a goal scorer on a line. He also has outstanding playmaking ability, so he can be that guy for a line. So I think because of his ability to kind of play any sort of style in the offensive zone will bode well for his future. Um, So if he, again, if he does make the jump to the NHL level, which I think at this point is – not so much safe, but I think is a pretty good projection that he will make it. Um, he could play up and down a lineup, in my personal opinion. So I think that's very valuable for any team okay. that takes him. All right. So we've got three down here. Let's let's round out two more on my trade board. And then we're going to ask Kyle what he thinks about the top end of the draft that's obviously loaded and just stacked with not just Connor Bedard, but others as well. I want to see if Kyle thinks that there could be some shakeups or if it's going to be all chalk. Where does he see some volatility there, possibly in the top 10 to really see some fireworks there um, to get the draft? Because all it takes is one team not toting the line and making a crazy pick no one saw coming to just have a domino effect and shake everything else up. So I want to get your thoughts on that. I'm going to ask you if you think the Predators could be one of those teams that could shake up the top 10 and trade up because they do have 13 draft picks. So when you have that many picks, you're someone who has a lot of chips on the table and you can make things happen. So we'll see about that. Let's, let's get two more in real quick. These are definitely more project type players, but definitely players that I chose because I do think they fit a, prospect pool need for the Predators, and I also think they're very realistic and they'll be there for the taking. Let's go to a player out of the WHL, a centerman, Braden Yeager. He's consistently, I've seen him 15. I've seen him outside of the top 20. I haven't seen him any higher than 15 on any mock drafts that I've come across. So kind of give us the lowdown on Braden Yeager, some of his strengths and why he think, what what are some of his deficiencies that push him to 15 or later? So the biggest thing with Jaeger, I'm low on Jaeger, and one of uh, one of the guys I talked to said I'm probably the lowest that he's seen on Jaeger. Um, and honestly, I, I'm just not too big of a fan. I wish I I wish I could say I was, um, but I have a lot of concerns with Braden Jaeger. I think his shot is outstanding. I think he has one of the better shots in this draft class. I don't think anyone would argue otherwise. I mean, he has a powerful shot. He has a, just 
for a guy who isn't as big as, you know, a guy like Alex Ovechkin, who can generate a ton of power off his shots, he generates a lot. It's about his shooting mechanics. Everything about his shot is just so good. Um, And he's able to generate so much power from it. He's super accurate as well. He's a guy that if he's given an opportunity on the power play, he's like the Stamkos Ovechkin type where he'll set up at the faceoff dot and you just feed him the puck all day long. And eventually one of those shots is going to go in. Um, Like that's how good his shooting is. But when watching him play, there's been a lot of times where I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, when he's away from the puck, move your feet. I found myself a lot of the times telling myself over and over again, like, why isn't he going here? Why isn't he attacking the slot? Why is he just, because there are times where he'll just be floating in the offensive zone, not really opening himself up. Uh, for teammates as a scoring threat. And for a guy who has such a good shot, all you have to do is get open, not even a ton of space, just find a spot where a teammate can hit you and your shot is so good. You'll beat just about any goaltender. Um, So I, I, I get frustrated sometimes watching him play because he just doesn't really move his feet or put himself in advantageous situations away from the puck. When he has the puck, he has good hands and he has confidence there are a lot of questionable mistakes that he makes. His vision isn't great. Sometimes he puts the blinders up is, is the term that I use where if he has the puck on a stick and he sees a shooting lane, everything else around him just kind of disappears and he loses sight of a better option or a better, yeah. a better passing play or maybe a different skating lane to attack to have a better chance of scoring off his own shot. Um, another concern I have is his transitional game. A lot of the times he was a passenger coming up the ice on uh, the transitional game where teammates would do a lot of the dirty work. They dump it in and forecheck and he would kind of be watching them do the hard work. Uh, and that's again, that's a major concern. It is. Um, is that's not going to, that's not going to translate well at all to the NHL. It, um, it won't as, <laughs> as it's currently constructed now. Um, let me say one more thing too, real quick before you finish that. Also, you can have, the best shot ever, but it's more, it takes way more than that. You're never going to get to use and display that great shot on the NHL level. If you're taking plays off, if you're not moving without the puck, you know, all of those important things that you have to show in the NHL, at least a little bit, you definitely, no one said you have to be the best, you know, mover without the puck, but you definitely have to show a lot of improvement from what we're seeing. And that's why he's definitely falling to 15 and later in a lot of mock drafts. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from wanting Jaeger on their team. By no means is that what I'm going for because when he's on his game, when he's confident, when he's really having one of the better games of of the season, he can be moving his feet. He can find those open spaces. He's capable of doing that. It's more a question of can he do it on a consistent basis because what I saw when I was watching him was there were shifts he took off where he didn't move his feet, wasn't getting open for teammates. And then there were other shifts where he was buzzing around the offensive zone, not so much for checking. That's not really his style. He's not really a guy that's going to win those battles on the boards or really get involved very often, but he at least showed flashes of ability to find open space and to give his teammates an option. He showed flashes of playmaking ability where he can make a difficult pass from time to time. And he's willing to attack those high danger areas too. It's just, can he do it on a more consistent basis? And I think it, that's going to be a major question that needs to be answered next year. If he can take a big step forward next year, he could be the steal of the draft because his shot is just so undeniably great. Yeah. That's all he's missing. So, he's a, so Braden Yeager seems like a very high boomer bust type of prospect to take at number 15. You could hit a home run on it or you could it could be a very, very big bust. Um, Adam Kimmelman, uh, NHL.com writer, 
uh, looking at this mock draft there. State, he has Braden Yeager being picked by the Predators in his latest mock draft. He says, uh, Barry Trotz, who will take over as general manager July 1st, wants his scouts to take some high-end swings on some guys. So Yeager would be the perfect addition here. The right shot forward is a strong, quick skater and a puck hound with a dynamic shot. Kind of what you're saying, Kyle. Same thing. He's got an outstanding shot. He needs to get stronger, but the upside is a top-line center that can make players around him better. Ooh. If you get a top-line center at number 15, then that's definitely a home run. That's not just a home run. That's a grand slam. So we'll see if Trotz wants to really take a big swing like he says he does. Braden Yeager will probably be on the board when the Preds pick, more than likely. So we'll see. Last one I got for you on my Preds trade board for Kyle Pereira, who writes scouting reports for Last Word on Sports. Let's talk about... Samuel Hanzik, who I feel like has been shooting up some draft boards lately. I feel like he's really raising his stock. Uh, what, what do you think the is the reason for that? I've seen, I don't know. I've seen, I've been reading a lot of scouting reports that are leaning towards he's he's definitely improved his stock, and he seems kind of all over the place. Like I've seen him picked outside the top twenty. I've seen him picked at fifteen. Um, he's definitely someone who take take your best guess on where he's going to be picked in the first round. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing with Sam Honzik is he doesn't have the best potential. Like, he's not a guy you can really comfortably look at and say he'll be a top-line guy one day. Um, what he does bring to the table is he is a puck hound. He forechecks. He backchecks. He's a mature defensive forward. He gets the job done. He's super efficient. Transitionally, he's not going to be overwhelmingly good off the rush. He's not going to be a guy that you have to, you know, that you're going to rely on transporting the puck up the ice, but when the puck is on his stick and he's tasked with moving the puck up ice, he is efficient. He's smart. He doesn't turn the puck over very often. He makes the right decisions 99% of the time. Um, in the offensive zone, he doesn't really push the pace a whole lot. Um, but when he has the puck on his stick, he can be effective. He has a good shot. He's got a good passing ability. Um, the biggest thing that lacks in his game is that pace. Um, which a guy like Braden Yeager, he's got pace to his game because he's always trying to attack. He's always trying to find ways to utilize his shot. Uh, A guy like Perot, who we touched on, extremely high-paced offensive game. He's always looking to stick handle his way through the defense, open up passing lanes for his line mates, uh, open up shooting lanes for himself. He's always looking for those opportunities. Hanzik is more, I would say, laid back in his offensive game, but he's also very, very smart as well. Um, he's big, he's hard to knock off the puck. And again, as you see on the screen, six foot four, 185 pounds, he's got a very big frame and he moves very well, um, for his size. And it's part of it is his edge work, his ability to stop on the puck, change directions with the play. He can keep up. He may not be the fastest guy. He may never be a very fast skater, but he keeps up with the play very surprisingly well for a guy of his stature. And he's only going to get heavier as well, which will be even better for him moving forward. Um, So the biggest knock on Hanzik is the fact that he doesn't have a very high upside style. He's not a guy that's going to break a game open offensively. He's not a guy that's going to really take control of a game, but he's a guy who you could look at and say, that's a future middle six forward right there, whether it's center, whether he moves to wing, whatever it is, he looks like a guy who you could comfortably project as a third line forward right out of the gates. Like he's a guy I look at. I really Mm -hmm. like his floor. I think he plays a style, an effective style 
that projects very well to the pro game. And I think NHL coaches will love him. He seems like a guy that's very, very easily coached. And I think that bodes well for his NHL future, really. Interesting. Yeah, so unlike like a Zach Benson, who obviously his ceiling is so high, but he's undersized, which you say is is being overblown. But Sam, Sam Hanzik is – he's big. He, he's not going to have any problem bumping bodies at the NHL level at 6'4", 185 pounds as a forward. That's that's big. And, you and you know, you say in your scouting report here, he's actually a pretty good skater, even for being that big, which that draws me in. I would be way – I would – even though like Braden Yeager, because I'm kind of comparing the two, uh, Hansik and uh, Yeager, because I feel like both of them are going to definitely be there at number 15. If I got to pick between these two, and I know there's others as well, and I might yeah. ask you if, if there's another player – outside of my trade board that the Predators should look at. We can go to that next. But if I'm picking just between Hanzik and Jaeger, I would actually feel safer about Hanzik because at least he brings a lot of really good tools and traits. And although his ceiling might not be through the roof or anything, but like I like a lot of his qualities here. And I do love his, his just his overall physical attributes, just that alone. Yeah. I mean, when you have a guy that's as big, you can't teach size. You know what I mean? That's something mm-hmm. you're born with and it's genetics, obviously. So for an NHL GM, that's why size sometimes is overvalued because when you have a guy that's that big and shows that much skill in juniors, why are we going to take the Zach Benson when you have a guy like Hansa? Obviously Zach Benson's another level of talent to, to Sam Hansik. And again, that's not a knock on Hansik. That's yeah, just how good just Zach Benson is. Okay. Yeah, um, but a lot of GMs will look at that and say, why are we going to take this guy, like Gabe Perot, who's smaller, higher paced, but smaller, more like higher ceiling, but again, smaller. When you have a guy like Sam Hanzik, who you can comfortably say he's coachable, he plays a style that will transition to the pro game effectively, um, based on what we know now, of course, it looks like something that could translate to the NHL game really well, and He's got great size. You can't argue against size. That's just who he is. And even though he might not be the most physical guy, like he's not going to throw his body into people consistently and kind of have that Nicholas Cronwell highlight reel of just knocking players down consistently along the boards. But he's so smart with using his frame defensively, using his frame in the offensive zone, being super hard to knock off the puck and just keeping the – keeping the offensive flow moving when he's on the ice. And I know you mentioned the Predators are looking for guys that are faster paced. That might not be Sam Honzik, mm-hmm. which is yeah. why the Predators might not go down that route, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you're fully aware of. Um, but if they want a guy who can play a really good depth role for them, meaning third line, maybe even second line, if his offensive game can take that next step, you can't go wrong with a guy like Sam Honzik, in my opinion. Uh, for sure, and and I, I agree with you. I don't I, I don't think he necessarily fits what they're saying that they're kind of looking for. But the Predators also pick at number twenty four, assuming that they don't decide to make some trades and stuff. And maybe Hanzik somehow falls in the first round. I would love to get a Hanzik at number twenty four if he's still on the board. That I would see see who they get at number fifteen, and then take Hanzik at number twenty four if he what did happen to fall. I'd be ecstatic about that, but we'll see. All right. Do you have anyone else just focusing on the 15th pick that I left out of my top five that you think, okay, I could see this player if I was going to do a mock draft, or you said you're working on a mock draft now. Um, Would it be one of those five or do you have someone else that I didn't mention that you really like for the Preds? 
there's a couple names that I really like. For the Preds specifically, I think a guy like Andrew Kristol could definitely be on okay. their board. Fast guy, fast-paced offensive game. The biggest concern on him is size, and uh, he also had some uh, an injury this season. So that, drink, that brings a lot of pause uh, to teams and scouts. Um, another name is Colby Barlow, kind of a bigger guy, but he's got more skill than Sam Honzik. Um, if he'll be available at 15, is kind of a toss-up at this point. But the name that f- comes straight to the forefront is uh, Gavin Brindley of Michigan, okay. um, playing with Adam Fantilli this year. He is my second favorite prospect behind Zach Benson this year. I mean, the guy is a – he's like the Energizer Bunny. The guy doesn't stop. He's constantly flying around the ice offensively, defensively, transitionally, um, watching games um, – of his playing for Michigan alongside of Fantilli. I mean, they were line mates the second half of the year, just about, I would argue that um, Gavin Brindley raised Fantilli's game up a bit with the finer details that he he played with. Fantilli obviously has the skill um, and he has the finishing ability. He has the IQ to, to, you know, command the puck and dominate offensively. But Gavin Brindley opened up a lot more opportunities for Fantilli when they were put together than Fantilli had at the beginning of the year. Um, and for me, Brindley led the way transitionally, um, for Michigan when they were on the ice was not Fantilli. It was Gavin Brindley who took the brunt of the transitional work, which I think is extremely notable. Um, in the offensive zone, he was by far one of the best four checkers second, probably only to Benson. Um, he just flew in. He had good speed, great edge work. He'd fly in and put pressure on defensemen consistently, force a lot of turnovers, not as much as uh, as Benson as you touched on. 13 in three games is just ridiculous. But he was super effective on the forecheck. He's very effective on the back check. He plays a mature defensive game. He's just really well-rounded with a lot of offensive skill. And there's a small group of people, including myself, that are very, very high on Brindley. I have him in my top 10. It's unlikely he goes in the top 10, but that's where he is on my board. And there's a select few people, a group of people who also have him high on their boards, including the top 10. Is he going to be available at 15? I genuinely think so. I think it's a mistake. I think people look at his size and the fact that he played with Fantilli and say, oh, he didn't, you know, that was Fantilli who, who made him look better than he is, or he's too small, whatever, kind of like the Zach Benson argument. But Gavin Brindley is a really good player. And I think he's being overlooked heavily because of the fact that he played alongside of Fantilli more than anything else. All right, Barry Trotz, are you listening right now? <laughs> I mean, I, you better you better subscribe to uh, Catfish on Ice and 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 look at Gavin Brindley. We're, we're letting you know right now. We're giving you all this free uh, content. I'm sure you have every dis- everything at your disposal <laughs> with your scouting department. But hey, you heard it here first, Gavin Brindley. All right. Let's ask Kyle Pereira about this because I'm I've been I've been preaching I haven't been preaching this like I think without a doubt they should do this, but I definitely think it should be considered at least. And if the opportunity presents itself, go for it. You don't acquire all this draft capital with all those trades they made. Predators decided to um, pretty much gut their season and and trade away four key key players in their uh, starting lineup at the trade deadline, got a ton of draft picks, including five draft picks alone from the Tampa Bay Lightning to send Tanner Janot there, which, um, yeah, Kyle's over there shaking his head because he covers the Lightning. And, yeah, I guess I got to ask you real quick because I haven't talked to you about it really. Um, 
How you feeling about Tanner Janot and giving up all those draft picks? I I do like Tanner Janot. I really do. I like the style of play. I thought he, of course, he was injured in the playoffs, but I thought he was a really good player for the Lightning. I think there was some untapped potential that the Lightning could maybe unlock with their development staff and their coaching staff in the NHL. I think they've done a phenomenal job with players in the past. Um, but it's man, that was a lot. It's, yeah, it's too it's too soon to say. For all we know, both both teams will end up winning that trade. You know, everyone always tries to find a winner and a loser, but sometimes in trades, both teams can come out winners. So uh, that's a lot of draft picks to give up. Five draft picks. I mean, it, it's for Tanner Janot, who's never really been been a massive point scorer in the league. So they obviously see something in Tanner that they really feel good about. So we'll see how that unfolds. Of course, all of Smashville is rooting for Tanner Janot. He's he's one of the top fan favorites here, and it was really hard for people to see him get traded. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, okay, so let me ask you this. Since the Preds have 13 draft picks, and they have even more draft picks in the next couple of drafts, like they just have a boatload of very high-end draft picks. They have a lot of second-round picks. They have just tons to throw at teams if they want to make moves here. Do you think that the Predators are probably one of the top teams that can shake the top 10 up if they decide to trade into the top 10? They absolutely can. They absolutely can. Will they? That's a completely different question, but they have the assets to do it. Um, now, trading the, the thing that gets complicated is how willing are teams within the top 10 to trade up their picks? Play because To play ball, yeah. Yeah, because you look at this draft class, especially, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, the top of the class is just so high end that it, you'd be hard pressed to find a team willing to work to trade back. Um, exactly. That's the biggest obstacle. Um, they're able to find a dance partner in the top 10. And let's just say, I don't know who's picking eighth, but let's just throw number eight out there. The eighth overall pick. Well, I've looked um, at the Red Wings at number nine, but yeah, number eight, we got the Capitals. So Capitals. So let's just say, I mean, the Capitals are a, usually a, a perennial playoff team. Maybe they're willing to trade back to add to their core or something. Who knows what the Capitals are thinking. But if that presents itself as an option, the Capitals are willing to trade back with Nashville. Let's just say you don't pull the trigger yet. Let's see how the you know the top of the draft falls out, you know, see how, how it plays out. If the top five is done and you have guys like Zach Benson – or Matvey Mishkov still available somehow for different reasons, varying reasons. There's no reason why you shouldn't trade up and say, you know what? I know sixth overall, they haven't picked yet, but if we can go up to trade up to number eight and have the chance to have Zach Benson or Matvey Mishkov, even if we don't have those guys, there's still some top end talent that's going to be available at that spot. Why not make that trade? You know, I think the predators could definitely shake up a lot within the top 10 if they're willing to find someone and if they're willing to make that trade themselves. I think it's worth I it. At, I look at the Red Wings too at number nine. That's kind of a team that's interesting to me because they are, I feel like they're on the back end of their rebuild. They're getting closer. Um, if you could throw the 15th pick at them and maybe there's someone at 15 that they really like that they know they'll be able to get. And if you, obviously you're going to have to stack, stack the trade deck here and give them a lot in return to give up that number nine, even to just move up six spots, you're going to have to give a lot. So it is a risk, but when you have 13 draft picks, maybe the Red Wings are a team that thinks, okay, we're really close to competing right now. We should be a playoff team next year with the way our rebuilds going. We're willing to get a lot of future draft picks, maybe a second round pick here, maybe give us a really good prospect that we can work with. They can replace that number nine pick. 
um, that we're giving up. We'll move back to number 15 and the Preds move up to number nine and get a Zach Benson who they really want or someone like that. That's kind of my thinking right now is find a team that's not completely married to being in the top 10. They already feel like they're pretty good. And I think the Capitals and the Red Wings, eight and nine, are the two. Because once you get past that, you've got a lot of teams who aren't going to be willing to move. you got yeah. the Blues. That The Blues are on the downturn right now. They're about to go through some tough times, I believe. Then you got the Canucks. They're not moving. First of all, at that point, that you're only moving up to number 11. But you got the Canucks. They're not moving. Um, let's see. If you move even above the Capitals at number seven, you've got – You've got the Flyers. I don't think they're going to want to move out of the top 10 at all, most likely. And then you get even higher, the Coyotes. I mean, the Coyotes do have two first-round picks. They got the sixth pick and the number 12 pick, I believe. So, let me see. I'm getting all these picks mixed up. I believe it's 6 and 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, 6 and 12. So, maybe the Coyotes, if you give them a really king's ransom, maybe the Coyotes are like, look, we're already picking at number 12. We're trying to stockpile draft picks for the future because obviously they're far deep into a rebuild. Maybe, maybe if you give them a lot, they'll say, "Hey, we're already picking at number twelve, and we got a guy we really want at number twelve, so we'll move out." I don't think it's going to happen. It's not highly. I'm just saying the Predators need to be on the phone and they need to be gauging interest in it at the very yeah. least. Yeah, I mean, if the Coyotes are willing to to move on with or trade back from number six, I'd go for it. Benson should be there. Absolutely. All right. So we will keep an eye on that. One last thing before Kyle Pereira gets out of here. This has been a really awesome segment for our YouTube channel that we're going to put up before we put out the main episode, which we plan on recording later this week. So this is a gift to our YouTube subscribers to get an early look at at episode 188 with this content here. All right, Kyle, I want to ask you, just give us what the what how you see the top five picks shaking up do you think it's going to be all chalk there's not going to be a lot of excitement or do you think that there's a player or two that could shake things up or a team that could shake things up and then that's the domino effect we see and then everything changes you know gms have to on the fly have to change who they're going to pick because someone got picked they didn't see expecting to get picked or something like that what do you see happening in all that or do you think it's going to be pretty smooth sailing and everything happens the way we expect it to happen I think the top three will go pretty much exactly as everyone's anticipating. Bedard, Fantilli at two, and then Carlson at three. I think that's pretty consensus at this point that that's what's going to happen. Um, I like to believe that Mishkov should go four, um, but there's a lot of concerns surrounding, obviously, the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, yes. His contract extends to, I believe, 2025, so he's still going to be stuck there for a couple more seasons, so you're going to have to wait um, and even then, will he be able to come over? So that's the biggest concern. Some team's going to be willing to take that risk. Mitchkov is a phenomenal talent, um, but that's a question if he'll go Mitch, for Mitchkov, Mitchkov is the wild card here. I'm glad you brought him up because um, for un, for very, very unfortunate and sad reasons, of course, um, that we just don't know where he's going to go. We know yeah. where he should go, as you just said, based on his talent alone, but we just don't know because of out side circumstances what's going to happen and if he just continues to fall further and further back in the top 10 that's going to just gms are going to be scrambling to think do we take a chance on this do we take a chance or do we not take a chance so yeah Yeah. he's got the he he's definitely the one the main one that's that's that everyone's going to be watching to see where he goes is mitchkov yeah and so the top three like i said should go pretty much as planned 
four is where it gets muddled. Four and five is where it gets muddled, really, because Mishkov could go four. He could go five. Benson could be in there as well. Um, I think a guy like David Rainbacher could go in there as well, although I'm not that high on Rainbacher. I do like Rainbacher, but a top five pick is a bit much, but I'm seeing a lot more um, out there that he could very much go within the top five if a team wants to go defense there. Um, Will Smith is another guy that teams are really high on. He could sneak into the top five. Uh, Axel Sandin Pelica. I mean, he the difference between him and Rainbacher I don't think is is – that large so if a team values sanding pelica more than rainbacher maybe he could sneak into the top five also um i mean there's a few names that could go up there um for sure but it, that's where it becomes muddled four and five will be the interesting picks because mishkov should go four despite the circumstances he should go four if he doesn't could be benson could be a defenseman. It could be a number of. It could be Will Smith. I mean, there's so many different ways numbers four and five could go that could really dictate how the rest of the draft goes. Yeah. So it sounds like to me we're in buckle your seatbelts. We're in for a really exciting draft. Obviously, we're getting to see Connor Medard, a generational talent. You know, get drafted. I'm going to be there, and it breaks my heart. It's very bittersweet that I'm going to be there in person and I get to watch my most hated franchise, the Chicago Blackhawks draft Connor Bedard. That's going to hurt. That's going to sting. But at the same time, it's going to be cool to see in person Connor Bedard get drafted and yeah. see this loaded draft class go. It's going to be fine. I, I wasn't going to miss it for anything being in my uh, hometown. So I'll be there. And then, yeah, this top 10, the way it shakes out is going to be very, very exciting and very interesting. That's why every mock draft I come across, it's it's all over. They're all over the place. There's so much disagreement as you said, outside of the top three, there's tons of disagreement and debate on how um, the rest of the first round is going to go. So it's going to make for a really awesome uh, 2023 NHL draft. We appreciate you coming on, Kyle. Yeah, I love being here. I love talking about hockey. All right. So this has been Kyle Pereira, our guest uh, at Pereira underscore report, P-E-R-E-I-R-A underscore report. Last word on sports. Go check out all of his scouting reports right now to get your research in and do your homework on the draft class. It's a lot of fun. I love the draft time. Um, the only, the only, the only part of the NHL calendar, other than obviously the playoffs that I, that I, that gets me most excited, you know, obviously the trade deadlines always really exciting, all the madness there, but this time of year for, since we're kind of starved for hockey outside of the two teams that are in the Stanley cup, getting ready for this draft is just perfect. It gives you some of that. It fills that void since we don't have, uh, our favorite hockey teams yeah. playing right now, you know? Yes. Of course, you as a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, I don't feel too much sympathy for you because well, <laughs> <laughs> you've been spoiled the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it was worth it. But honestly, getting the, the first round exit stunk for a couple of days. But knowing that, okay, I can take a deep breath and just focus on my scouting, I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> it gave you some. It definitely gave you some extra time uh, that, yeah. since you're not having to uh, follow a playoff run. Yeah. All right, man. Take care. It's been a pleasure. Definitely will have you back on probably in the next month or two because we're going to have to get your thoughts on who the Predators take in this draft. So until then, you've been outstanding. We will stay in touch. This has been Kyle Pereira joining episode 188, Catfish and Ice. Please hit subscribe below on our YouTube channel. It helps a ton. Comment on the streams, of course, um, and all of that good stuff. We will have a live episode on our YouTube channel either tonight or tomorrow. We're trying to figure out the logistics there, but we'll have a live episode. Until then, everyone have a great and safe day. We'll see you next time.